How do you go about turning princes into kings? My guest today on the Reset Podcast today is Dylan Ruse. Dylan travels the world and he coaches young men and mentors them to become the men they want to be. He has some great insights on how to make the next generation think about things differently. And it's an honor to have him on the Reset Podcast. Welcome, Dylan Ruse. All right, Dylan Ruse, welcome to the Reset Podcast. Mate, is it good being you? It is It is good being me, mate. <laughs> I enjoy I wouldn't be anyone else. Nice yeah, work. The... And we need to make everyone a little bit jealous. Tell us where you are right now. I am in Oahu. So that's uh, basically the main island in Hawaii that you fly into. So I've been living here for almost seven months now. Or this is about my seventh month now. So it's uh, it's not a bad place to live. Does it feel like home? Does it feel or does it feel uh, like you're on a seven-month holiday? Uh, good question. I've been kind of traveling a little bit to California and back. So it probably still feels like a seven-month working holiday because I've been working the whole time. So um, it does, doesn't feel like home because I don't have my own place. So that I think right. once I get my own place, I'll be able to go, okay, I'm settled. And how do, how do you find the difference between – yeah, you grew up, would have grown up in Sydney. So how do you find the, the difference because it's a – Big change from, from Sydney very, to Oahu. Very much a slower lifestyle over here compared to Sydney. Sydney's, yeah. Sydney's very fast-paced. Hawaii's very slow-paced. And you see that a lot with the uh, – I love my coffee, so I go get a coffee and it takes – I'll be the only one in the cafe and it takes 10 minutes to get my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and coffee. Like, let's go, let's go, let's it, go. It's, it shouldn't take 10 minutes. It should but not they're, take they're on island time. They are massively on island time. Yeah. So, so tell us, you, you you talked about you doing a lot of work and going to to California and stuff. Tell me about the work you do. I want to hear more about it. So, run two businesses. So I've got my own coaching business, which is, um, and the program in that is called Prince to King, and that's coaching sixteen to twenty two year old boys. But that's kind of who I market to. But really, it's. It's. I've got a couple of fourteen-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds. I just picked up a twenty-five-year-old client. I'm I'm twenty-six. So, um, yeah, it's basically young men and helping them transition from boyhood to manhood and giving them some tools and education around what it means to be a man, as well as you, you know encouraging emotional intelligence, encouraging vulnerability, whilst also saying, guys, you need to be resilient as well. Um, and mm-hmm. I talk I talk a lot about you know. Um, resilience through vulnerability and being able to become more resilient as a result of being vulnerable. And then the other themes in that pro- program is probably the, the last one would just be about giving them some purpose or some structure and, and having conversations around where they see themselves in five years' time. You know, like one of the best exercises I did as a young 20-year-old was a you know five-year goal-setting exercise and even the goals changed every you know six months because that's just the, the way life is. It just gave me really great vision and structure for where I wanted to kind of see my life. So um, that's that's the Prince to King program, which I've been doing. It's for a great about. name for a program Thank too, isn't it? Yeah. It's 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 really. I I, I kind of read it, and there was there was a little wrestle going on in my head, and I love having wrestles in my head. They're a wonderful thing, but yeah, the the Prince to King. I love the idea, but it it also touched on that little bit of entitlement that we get from from some kids at that age and how do you how do you kind of you know wrestle with that that you you want to make well, them better men I, I kind of 
like one of the last weeks we go through is looking at the king archetype and actually what like what is a king so at the start i kind of touch on it very briefly guys why why prince the king and i essentially just say look my definition of king and we're going to go in detail on this in one of our weeks is to be of service to others um and to and to lead by example through serving other people you know the the healthy king, and when we look at the king archetype, which I go into detail, that is all about being of service of, of your kingdom, being of service to them. So for me, I think we just kind of, we immediately think king. And and in young and in men's culture now, we, we do use the term pretty flippantly and pretty like uh, recklessly maybe. I don't, I don't know what the right term is, but we, we kind of say like, oh, you know, one of our mates will sleep with a girl. Oh, fuck yeah, you're a king. It's yeah. like, I, I like that. That's no. what makes you a <laughs> No. Like, so for me, it's about rewiring what that word means or not even re- rewiring. It's going back to what it originally meant, you know, back when we did have kings and queens and we had, we have so many great examples in our past and in you know, fairy tales or storytelling around um, people who, who led through lead, really strong and integrity-driven leadership and served their people, right? So, and I think we lack so much of that in today's society. In terms of, you look to our leaders and they suck. <laughs> they do you do think not. it's a, a it's a selfishness thing, or what, where where do you reckon that comes from? That sort of not doing it in a place, doing it in a place from your own esteem rather than doing it in a place of service. Where do, where do you think that stems from? I, I just think it's everyone's so ego-driven now. Like you look mm. at, I, and I don't, you know, po- I mean, politics is the best example, but you tend to then piss off 50% of the people. So I tend to go, I don't care where you sit in the political party, you can choose examples from both sides of 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 politicians just not taking responsibility for their actions, for what they're meant to do or, or their roles. And I think so much of it's just ego-driven. They just want to be seen to be doing and saying the right thing. They'll flippantly change where they stand on based off of, you know, roll the dice basically or what's going to make them more popular. So I, I just think it's I just think it's so in, integrity-driven. Now, now we've got phones and we're so connected to the news and to information that we've we probably know, you know, depending on what you're reading. But we probably now know more about our politicians than ever. Or we know more about our leaders now than more so than ever. So the more that they can stay in the news, the more they're going to try to stay in the news. And so, oftentimes, it's just you know just so ego driven. And the last twelve months, especially in Australia, you've seen that. Like we're meant to be one country. And we've somehow divided ourselves into states and closed borders and told Victorians they can't come back into New South Wales. And mm. it's like where did the premiers get off on thinking that that's the power that they had, that they could close borders between countries, like oh, within a country. And there was being no... A, being able to isolate no, COVID was also a great thing in that we, we have, we've had probably one of the best responses in the world because of some of those things. So it's well, there, there's a, two sides country. to that argument, isn't it? Yeah, but, like, internally we were blocking off, like, some of the, you know, some of the horrible stories. Mom, you know, oh, there was horrendous, yeah. Up, some of them were terrible. Being able to fly into a state to see their dying parents and and 
the health minister, like one person having the power to say, no, you can't come in. It's like, mm. hang on. What? That's- yeah, I, I look at that though and I'm, I, I get what you're saying. But one, I look at that and compare that to say the polarity that you got in the states. Yeah, you know, Hawaii is probably a little bit more chilled, but yeah, you know, the polarity that they've got over there—that they're actually making who they vote for. You know, like a, it's like a congenital part of their humanness. You know, mm. I've got brown eyes and I'm a Democrat. It's it's oh, crazy, yeah. and they're outsourcing their beliefs to yep. whatever political ideology they have, and and yep. that's so dangerous, isn't it? Well, you can't have uh, any, you, you essentially can't have any of your own thoughts in terms of, yeah, you are a Democrat or you are a Republican and then you have to agree with everything that that party stands for. So you can't be like, oh, I like this about so-and-so and I like this about so-and-so. It's like, no, 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 no. It's like you're a Democrat or a Republican. So, yeah, you absolutely You've got to right. wear the uniform. Like you've, yeah, you you've, got to, yeah. you've got to agree with that because that's part yeah. of who I am. That's a horrendous way to be. I do you agree. notice? Do you notice it when you're there? Is it? Is it? In what That's ways? A, in what ways do you say it? Well, it, it's the. It, it just causes that division. It and it, and you label people very quickly in terms of you have preconceived notions of what a Democrat is and what a Republican is, and so you go into a conversation and let's say. It, turns to politics or which it, which it often does like over here and you know back home in australia when you're meeting people very rarely is politics one of the first things you talk about sports ever it's, i wouldn't know who half my yeah. friends vote for wouldn't have yeah. a clue yeah 100 yeah so over here it's just so talked about it's so open it's so like like um who do you vote for what do you stand and then based off of who do you vote for that will tell you a lot about what you stand for according to people over here so yeah. um it just causes a lot of division just like, it's almost like a new version of religion isn't it that you've got a you know you've got yeah. to believe in what that doctrine is whether you believe it or not yeah and absolutely. they've done research on it and when they split up the topics and actually just get people to talk on topics they're actually not as divided as we think yeah but the moment the moment you put it under the umbrella of of democrat or republican they very much are well, people aren't very good at listening, I've found. The average person doesn't like to listen. They just like to talk. So it's difficult. Well, that's one that. of the things you teach in your program. How do you how do you go about doing that? What are some of the keys that you, you teach young men how to listen better? How do, how do we go about doing that? Well, I think the first step to becoming a better listener is creating space between the trigger or the event or the stimulus and our reaction to it so yeah it's great we're having a conversation let's say you're my dad i'm i'm your son and you know you're telling me off or something and my immediate response like 99 percent of kids is to fight back if you can create a little bit of space before the response or before the reaction then i'm the the boys are able to catch themselves and go okay like take a deep breath. All right, let's continue this conversation in a calm way, right? Yeah, so nice. That's, that's the starting point is, and and we don't like. There are no real secrets. Like meditate, journal. They're two of the greatest tools that are talked about in for thousands of years. Right? Forever, yeah. yeah. But one so, one of the things meditation does, and you talk about building that building that space between your 
you know, getting the stimulus and the response is actually a little, I've got man search for meaning was actually sitting on my desk and Victor yep. Frankel, you know, he was amazing at being able to control that. Mm. Uh, but things like meditation, actually, the reason I think they allow you to do that is those thoughts come into your head while you're meditating, but you actually take them somewhere calm. And yeah. when you build those pathways of here's a thought that come into my head and I've taken it somewhere calm, when that yeah. happens in life later on, you've got that pathway there. Exactly right. And so much about meditation is de-stressing your nervous system so that, so that you're not like on the edge, you know, like there, there'll be days when I'm on the edge, right, and something happens and I just freak out and I, I get, you know, my reaction's not very great. But if I've got a continued meditation practice, more times than not, I say I'm, I'm fairly consistent now in my emotional range. It, it, there's, you know, when you're not doing it, it's like, that and then when you are it's like that and then when you you know you're really doing it and you've done it for years and so you you can be more consistent in in how you show up day to day through meditation and it's such a practical tool for self-awareness and a practical tool for going inwards because so many of us are not checking in with ourselves and so when you ask someone how they're doing and they respond good they actually they don't don't know how they're doing and they're they think they're doing good, but they have no idea because they're waking up, checking their phone, having a shower, getting out of the shower, making a coffee, you know, and just starting their day and then they get home and every spare moment they have, they either pick up their phone, jump on their laptop, put on Netflix. They don't have a spare moment where they go, okay, I'm just going to go for a walk in nature and not take my phone. I'll be back in 30 minutes. Like even something as simple as that, when we go for walks now, what do we do? We chuck them headphones on, we put music in and we go for a walk. So even mm-hmm. that's not really giving yourself time to be alone with your own thoughts because you've still got stimulus pumping into your ears for the 30-minute walk. So, oh yeah, back to what I said before, oftentimes people don't actually know how they're doing. And when you ask them how they're doing and they say, good, it's like they're not lying to you. They just have no idea. It's just their default response. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, and I've been there like that was that was me for six months when I was 20 years old and that's kind of or that's the main reason why I'm doing the work that I'm doing now is because when I was 20 I went through a bad breakup I didn't have the tools that I have now I didn't have the education I had a pretty good support network but I didn't have the support network that were having the conversations that I needed to have and, and also holding me accountable to higher standards for myself similar to what we were saying off, off the podcast before we jumped on around around your work was, was around having those conversations and making mates better mates, right? So I had a great, I had great mates. I, did, we just, I just wasn't having the conversations as most 20-year-olds aren't. So six months after the breakup, all my good habits fell away over those six months and all these bad habits came in and um, my mental health took a massive decline. Um, and that's when I couldn't get out of bed for a week. And I was like, okay, this isn't just a hangover anymore. This is something mm-hmm. more serious. And so I put my hand up, went to see a psychologist for the, for the first time in my life. And then that's when he, you know, diagnosed me um, or, or told me that I was seeing signs of depression and anxiety. And then that's what propelled me to start to do personal development and look into mental health and look into mental illnesses. And then that propelled me down my own journey, which then led me to go, okay, I really want to give back to give back to the next generation of boys coming through and, and help them not go through what I went through or help them, if they are going through, give them the tools that I now have and, and give them to, to them and, and help them out. Uh, it's, you talked before about being vulnerable and 
it's really sad that we have to, you know, I could sense when you were telling that story, you really weren't overly comfortable about admitting that you had a mental health issue. And I think that in itself, we need to change. You know, I had a thing called a hypermanic episode back when I was in my mid twenties and, you know, um, guys came to my work and said, you can either come with us or we're giving you a jacket that buckles up with the back and you're coming with us. That, that were my two choices. And yeah, I wow. did it. Yeah. And, you know, that's that. And I look back on those, those points in your life and that point in my life was far and away the best thing that ever happened to me. Completely yeah. changed my trajectory, changed everything I did. And, you know, at that time was smoking way too much dope, was not a very good husband, um, was that far away from getting divorced. And that was the catalyst to I, I moved countries, I started another business and, you know, four years later I had enough money to retire at 31. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really, I want to push back on you a little bit if you don't mind, that don't say it like that, man, because you, look, you looked as if you, you had that stigma as you were telling that story. Just own it. you got to own that because... yeah. I think for, every, we've, we've all got to learn to own that. Mental health is something that affects one in five people every year. We have to be able yeah. to talk about it in a way that doesn't make us feel guilty. I think for me personally, I, I've never and like I've never wanted it to define me. And so whilst I've got depression and anxiety or, or I struggle with depression and anxiety, I want to empower those with mental illnesses to not let that become their story or not let that own them. And similar to what there's kind of a a link in what you were saying and what I was saying for me, it was like my, all my good habit. I stopped working out. I ate McDonald's every day. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't journaling. I was drinking a lot. No shit. I got depressed and anxious. Yeah. And then similar to you, you said you were smoking a lot of weed. You were, you were, you know, stressed out at home, stressed out at work, like all these things will eventually lead to some form of kickback from our bodies. So their bodies are going to be like, hey, alarm bell's gone off. There's something going on. Put your shit out, right? So, yeah, I'm I'm uncomfortable. I I still haven't, because I tell the story so often, I still actually don't know, diagnosed, you told me I struggle, I battle, I'm conquering it, I'm doing well. It's like... Well, I haven't figured out the word that I like using in that story. I think the word you've got to use, and I run mental health first aid courses, and Mm. one of the the things about it you've got to use is I've had an experience with that. It's not Mm. I'm I'm not depressed. I'm not this. I'm not. It's not part of me. It's just something that I've gone through on occasions. Yeah. It's something I deal with when I need to deal with it. It doesn't doesn't define you, and it's not. Exactly right, yeah. Yeah, and most of the case, it is an episode. It is something that you struggle with, and yeah, your bucket just got full, and you didn't actually, you couldn't actually empty it anymore. And I've seen, I've seen so many of of my friends from high school, beautiful people, and then, you know, oftentimes, like we don't, we don't have a great understanding of what trauma is, or, or when we think trauma, we think massive, like. Capital T traumas. I think there's a, there's a trauma expert. I watched Maston Kip, and he calls them capital T trauma events: deaths and going to war and losing an arm, like yeah. the T's. But we don't understand that. Yeah, a breakup is very traumatic. That's a trauma event. Like um, we have all these smaller traumatic events in our lives. And I saw so many of my friends growing up, girls and guys getting older. Some form of trauma would come into their life. 
another one. They'd stop looking after themselves as well. Then they'd go to the psychologist, get diagnosed with a mental illness, and then go to a psychiatrist, get the appropriate medication. And then that became their entire identity. Yeah. And I think it is, I think it is in the man's search for meaning that he that Victor Frankl talks about um about hope for the future, I think, and and hope and 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 creating hopeful future and looking, you know, so many of these people don't see a future outside of whatever their mental illness is. Yeah. And they get stuck there. And then their mental health just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Versus I've also seen a lot of people similar to you, similar to myself, where they have an experience with mental illness, they choose, well, I'm not going to let this define me. I'm going to figure out the best way to work around it. And then they work their way through it or they, or they're, you know, um, very men- their mental well-being then in- increases, right? They, it goes well, People up. with so, a growth mindset in those sort of yeah. times when everything's really hard are going to double yeah. down on the things that they need to do to get better. They're going to look yeah. at it and say, yeah, this is not how I want to be. What do I have to do? Yeah. Whereas mm. people with a, with a fixed mindset will go into it saying this is how it, and mindset you can change that that's not yeah well yeah you, you can change the way you mind we now know how um neuroplasticity works or we're starting to learn more and more about that as we become more advanced in science and technology so we can literally rewire the brain well particularly um, the work you're doing with with kids at you know from 15 to, to 22 their prefrontal cortex isn't developed yet They've they've got these little rubber brains that we can move yeah. everywhere, and it's you know that's such a great thing to take advantage of that. And you know, I'm going to have thoughts that help, and I'm going to create these habits that actually are yeah. going to help me. And if you lay those groundwork now at that the sort of age of the the kids you're working with, man, that mm-hmm. is just that's got a cumulative advantage for the rest of your yeah. life. Exactly, and you know, there was one boy that I was working with. Um, 19 years old, again, had trauma in his early, uh, you know, when he was 13, 14, got homeschooled for a few years and then, you know, was was basically, his, you know, his mum came to me, was like, can you work with my son? I was like, yeah, absolutely, jumped on with him and we worked together and he went from got to bed every night at like 2 to 3 a.m., getting up at 12 p.m., 1 p.m., 2 p.m., no work, no real friends, no school because he was, Just you know. Just video games and pulling Video games basketball and stuff and then to 10 weeks of working with me he had a a part-time job where he's working four days a week good sleep schedule um and like 10 weeks that's two and a half months he went from that to four days a week working and now we're continuing working together over 12 months as well and you can just see that lights you up yeah telling the story that that that's just lighting you up it was awesome it was it was so cool to see the transformation because Again, 50% of what I do is I'm here for you. Let's talk about what's going on. And the other 50% of what I do is going, empowering them and saying, hey, I understand that X, Y, Z is tough. I understand that that sucks. And we've had that conversation where I've held space for you to feel that. Now let's work on solutions. Now you can do this. Now you can get through this. You're strong. You're strong. Like, and empower them to, to, um, take the next step forward. And over 10 weeks, you just take small little steps. There's a book by James Clear called Atomic Habits, and he talks about the 1% daily increase mm. and how important it is of just 1% better. So whilst the 10-week gap is huge, we were just working on a day-to-day, just a little bit better, mate. Let's just 
What time are you going to bed? 3 a.m. All right, let's go to bed at 2.30 now. All right, let's go to bed at 2. All right, just let's go thin to bed slicing your goals. Exactly. Let's just knock it back, knock it back. All right, let's get a morning. Let's get one hour of the day where you do that every single day. Let's get a morning routine because it was waking up and doing whatever you wanted the entire day and then going to sleep. Yeah. So so just these small little changes um, and, and lighting a little fire under their ass and going, mate, you know, again, where do you see yourself in five years' time if you keep acting this way? Well, I'm going to be at my parents' place. I'll be 24. I'll be depressed and anxious and I won't have a job and I'm not going to have friends and I'm never going to have a girlfriend. And I was like, do you want to be there? It's like, no. So it's like you play up the pain then you go, mate, if you actually think about this and bring it because out of sight, out of mind, we very rarely go, oh, what, where am I going to be in five years' time? Like I'll figure itself mm-hmm. out. But you can elevate the pain in, in hey, in five years' time, if you keep doing what you're going to do, you're not going to be very happy. Let's make these small changes now and eventually here's the, where you will end up and this is, and we then amp up the, the pleasure or we amp up the, the vision of where he wants to be. So, I mean, that's just one example of how even at 19, you can really, over a pretty short period of time, rewire the brain to put in good habits, get rid of bad ones, think better about yourself and, and start getting back on track with, with where you want to go in life. Yeah, it's, a, it's great advice. And it's, it's so good that you're doing it that early. Um, it's amazing when you get, you know, um, I call that those chats that you're having with a coach. And it's such a, it's such a beautiful thing to be a coach because you actually get to tell them the hard things that you actually are a little bit uncomfortable telling your friends because that's your, co- your job as a coach. It's, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I've got to tell you how it is. I think I think we've almost got a you know that idea of building better mates. We've almost got to give mates that. Yeah, I have a thing I call the chat, and I and you do it when you're in a cold state. So you do it when things aren't emotional, and you yeah. go to one of your friends. Look, if I'm having an old brain shitstorm, if I'm having a emotional time and my head's up my ass, I'm going to ring you and I'm going to outsource the smart part of my brain to you. Mm. And so I want you to hear me. I want you to make sure you, I know you've heard me, but then I want you give me some empathetic alternatives. And that chat is just an amazing thing to have, to be able to know that I've got someone to go to who's actually going to hear me out and is actually going to call me on it when I'm being an asshole. Yeah. I don't think many people have that, mate. No. No, I don't think so. And we are great. I've run another business called Momentum, the Momentum Lifestyle Project, and it's very similar to work. It's just for 30, you know, for older guys and we run a 12-week mentorship through them. But we had a great conversation maybe four months ago and one of the business, one of our business partners, there's three of us, came to us and goes, guys, we're not doing enough. Like I'm, we're, we're delusional. Like we've, we've lost the accountability part to what we're doing here and we, we're just getting on calls and we're just patting ourselves on the asses and we're just, you know, think we're king shits when – in reality, wow. we're talking about self awareness, yeah. And so, we had a great conversation where we called each other on our bullshit and we then implemented that in our business. So, once a, once a month, we do a champion and challenge for each other, which is like, um, you know, hey mate, I thought you did really well, um, when you did XYZ, and then we do a challenge, and the challenge is meant to be like really like it's meant to be a solid challenge because it's once a month, so it's like, mate. You're not, you, you're saying that you're doing this, but you're not doing this. Or, you know, you, you're jumping on social media and you're talking about good habits, but mate, I know that you're, you have shitty habits. So what, there's a disconnect, you know, and really yeah. calling the other. And because you Wow, said, how does that, does that 
land right because you've had that chat yeah. beforehand that that's what we're going to do yeah, so it lands yeah. oh, in a place that works yeah it does absolutely because i think the important thing is is we've it's a structured process it's nothing personal and the three of us are all in agreement in terms of what you said which is you're not a good mate if you're letting your mates get away with their own bullshit like that's not that's not being a good friend if you can yeah, see wow. one of your mates doing things that that are keeping him stuck that are not helping him and you see that and you don't change it you're not a good friend or not you don't change it you don't bring that to his attention because we've all got blind spots we've all got shit we can't see and and there are times when we've got our heads stuck up our asses and it's not necessarily our fault so we do need friends to hold us accountable and go hey mate do you know that you're doing this and oftentimes it's like oh fuck i didn't even am i really oh yeah. shit, okay i can change that now and again back to what we said at the start self-awareness being so critical to um development and change it's it's the first step of you know the process of changes you have to become aware of it first yeah absolutely absolutely um so when you when you're doing some of these works works with the kids how i'm how can i put this i'd really like some advice on parenting for Mm. for teenagers one of the issues we've got is like i'm 50 so i had that generation of parents that just said you know bugger off we'll see you when it's time for dinner and they they cared and they loved you and all of that sort of stuff but now we've got my generation has been we know it's a flawed parenting strategy we've we've snowplowed all of their all of their problems and we've made their, their road nice and sweet. So now when they do have a trauma, no matter how small it is, they haven't got a back catalogue of ones that they've dealt with that they can yep. they can draw on. Yep. What would your advice to parents these days on how to do that in a way that how to parent in a way that's sort of somewhere between those, I guess, and how do we how do we be effective parents? Well, I think it is so much about one of the parents' main jobs is to raise resilient kids or at least kids that can go out into society and be productive human beings within society. To do that, you need to be resilient. You need to be able to handle setbacks. You need to be able to pick yourself up when you get knocked down. I think, I mean, sport is such a, sport's such a great teacher for that. So even if as mm-hmm. a parent, you're, if, even if you're, as a parent you're not very good at it and you've got that self-awareness of, oh, shit, I helicopter my kids all the time, go and put them in a contact sport because they're going to get knocked on their asses a shitload of times quite literally and they're going to have to li- quite literally pick themselves back up. So mm-hmm. sport's a good good teacher in that if you, if, you, if you struggle with that. And I think it's just about, it's about understanding, okay, my kids are going to be okay and my kids need this and they're good. Even if they break a bone, even but they fall over and skin their knees, like all these sorts of things. Well, have it's, a mental um, health episode when they're twenty, like you did. It's yeah, it's, it's one of those things that happens. It's it's if you look at your own life and you go, how did I grow? What are the greatest lessons that I learned? They weren't when things were going well. You didn't become who you were because you lived an amazing life and nothing went wrong, and every job you went for you got, and every raise you asked for you got, and every girl that you asked out she said yes. It's like no. You became who you were through all of your failures, all of your stumblings, all of your falling over and dusting yourself off. Like that's how you got to where you were. So as a parent, if you can rewire the conversation in your own head and go, well, hang on, how did I get to where I am? Oh, it was through this, 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 and this. And was I okay? 
well, yeah, I was okay. Okay, I need to relinquish some control. I need to relinquish that fear within me of what's going to happen to my kids. Because I think, I can't remember who said it. I can't remember, yeah, which psychologist said it, but it really resonated and and I see it a lot. It's parents aren't necessarily afraid that their kids are going to get hurt um, or, I mean, that's part of it. But the other part to it is parents are now afraid of coming across as bad parents to other yes. parents. It's more so about the parent than it is about the kid. It's, so it's more, it's actually not I'm nervous for my kids. It's I actually am really insecure as a parent that if my kid mm. is to go and hurt themselves, that you would know, be a bad all reflection the, on all me. The, all the, yeah, it'll be a bad reflection of me. And so that's, that's horrendous. That's a that's actually a bigger driver um, because we all know oh, kids, you know, especially boys, boys fall over, they they do this, they do that, um, and they're going to hurt themselves, and that's fine. But we aren't prepared for the social outcast, and it's probably not even going to happen, but the potential for the social outcast is actually what's like, oh, my God, I'm not letting little Becky do X, Y, Z. No kid of mine's going to do that. Yeah, so, right? Yeah, and so we, yeah. we're stuck in our egos as parents um, around that, whereas because your parents' generations, all the parents are doing the same thing, it, there was no – it was probably the reverse. It was probably like, oh, my God, your kid is so reliant on you. Like, oh, my gosh, look, like it was probably the opposite in their yeah. time. So it was very easy for them to just go, yeah, go play, do your thing and come back and you'll be okay. I think my uncle had to walk home from school with a broken arm, I think, one day. Like, it was like that. Like, so it was like, no, I'm not coming to pick you up. You'll be fine. Walk home. And he had a broken arm and had to walk home. So right. that's what you, you probably want to You're avoid. You're getting judged that. if you do that as a parent, aren't you? You're getting judged. Probably want to avoid that. But There's a line somewhere just before that. Exactly right. So, yeah, that's, that's the biggest piece is build resilient kids because if you can't build resilient kids, they're going to turn into it, – well, it's going to turn into a lot of mental illness, to be honest. You know, I think the yeah. rise – and I think too, I think there are realms where you need to be the parent and there are times where you can be a friend. And for me, what I've seen, I've got younger cousins. I've got cousins the same age as me. I had, at the time, I thought they were strict parents, right? When I was growing up, I'm like, oh my God, my parents are so strict. And I look back and I'm like, okay, I didn't have it that bad. But boundaries around these, around devices, oh, around laptops, iPads, phones, we, we know the longer that you spend on Facebook, the more depressed and anxious you're going to be. We know that mm-hmm. now. So as a parent, if, if we know that, don't go and buy your – because the biggest thing I hear, you know, oh, my God, how do I get my kids to st- stop spending so much time on their devices? And I go, you're in another room. <laughs> me, me, I'm like, you're the parent. Go pick up their device, take them, put it somewhere else and say, okay, we're going to create boundaries around this. We're going to say – you know, at the dinner table, all phones over here. We're going to say from 9 p.m. onwards, all devices are off. We're going to, you know, like you don't want to demonize the thing because they, they're they great tools that we have, but you also want to create healthy boundaries. I didn't get Facebook until I was 16. Like my parents would not let me. And I was like, I was not allowed Facebook until I was 16. And thank God, because now kids are growing up and, I think, I think the legal age is 13, but, you you know, kids yeah, are on there before they can then. Just tell whatever. They, you know, they can just create an account There's, and jump I have a, a great thing I call a noise-cancelling habit. And I actually, I stole a little bit from James Clear, who you 
touched on earlier. Um, yeah. And a noise cancelling habit is something you can do once and it takes away a whole bunch of decisions. Yeah. So yep. I walk into my I walk into my house and I go through my office to to get in the house and I plug my phone in there and when I go into the house I want to be a dad and I want to be a I want to be a husband I don't want to be looking at my phone so my phone gets plugged in in the office and actually doesn't go inside yeah, and nice. it's amazing that and if we go out, go out to restaurants if we need an Uber one of us will take our phones but only one yeah and just those little things that we can put it in a different place. And then we're not tempted to grab it. If it's there yeah. and it's buzzing and it's binging the whole time, we're just getting little dopamine squirts just going yeah. straight into our head. So yeah. by by putting it in another room, it doesn't. My daughter, actually, we have a, a kitchen safe, which is a little time locker Tupperware. I've got one thing. of those. They're great, aren't they? They're really good for Tim Tams. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. a, a, an open packet of Tim Tams is like kryptonite to me. So putting the eating two and then putting them in the in there works a treat. But my daughter, if yeah. she's studying, will put her phone in the, in the kitchen safe, and it yeah, just nice. says I'm, I'm taking that off the equation. And I think yeah. that works a treat as well. Yeah, and and I like that the I think James Clear calls it make it make the bad habits impossible to do. Because if they're impossible, mm. well, his thing is to is to set up your environment so the good habits yeah. are easy and the bad habits exactly. are difficult. And yeah. you know, he talks about things like putting the remote control in a cupboard in another room. So if you want to turn the telly yeah. on, you actually got to make some effort. If you want to exactly. practice reading, leave the book on the coffee table so that when you go there, the remote control's in the other room, but the book's right there. So I'm going to read. Yeah. Yeah. And just setting up your environment to to make that easy and he's yeah it's a great book um there's another one called tiny habits by bj fogg who actually lives just up the road from you in in uh, hawaii oh, really? and bj fogg is he's a he runs a thing called the design lab at stanford and um he he does one really cool thing that that uh, that um james clear doesn't he talks about celebrating the thing when you do it to adding yep. a positive emotion to the habit you yeah. want to do and that one yep. little bit of celebration i've found has made a big difference well, I was going to say there needs to be that desire to do it again. And yeah. so that's you know, how we even, ingrain that. Yeah. Like I, I know that that was a big shift in my business was every dollar that came in, I would be like happy. I'd be like grateful. I was like, awesome. hundred bucks. Great. That's so cool. 200 bucks. Yeah. Awesome. Great. That's awesome. Rather than. Like there's 100 only hundred bucks. No, oh, that's fucking, that's nothing. That's only a hundred bucks. It's like, that doesn't make me want to go and make more money. That's like depressing. I'm depressed now. I'm like, fuck, that's only that yeah. much money. So yeah, I, I agree. The celebration bit's huge. Yeah, isn't it? But Dylan, I love the work you do. The Prince to King sounds like it's an amazing thing. I'd, I'd love to, um, yeah, I'd love to see how, how it all pans out in the future. And um, best of luck with it, mate. And thanks for coming on the Reset Podcast. Mate, thank you very much. It was great to be here. 